Amen. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 9 this morning as we finish our series in the book of Second Timothy. While you're finding your place there, just a reminder, and for those of you that don't have a photographic memory, you may want to write this down. Um, so we will have Refuel Bible Study this coming Tuesday, July the 2nd. There will be Bible Study this coming Tuesday, July the 2nd. But then on July the 9th, July the 16th, and July the 23rd, there will be no Tuesday night refuel Bible study because of scheduling conflicts with Basha High School. But please write this date down. On Tuesday, July the 30th, we will resume our Bible study on Tuesday night in the cafeteria, and we will be having pizza that night from 6.30 to 7. So you won't want to miss Tuesday, July the 30th as we come back. So this week and the 30th, the first Tuesday of July and the last Tuesday of July, obviously we'll have Bible study and then on through August and through the fall. But three Tuesdays in the middle of July, we will not. And we just would hate for somebody to show up on the 9th, the 16th, or the 23rd and go, where is everybody? Is there a partial rapture? What happened? No. I don't believe in a partial rapture, by the way. All right. Let's go back just real quickly and remind ourselves about what this letter from Paul to Timothy is all about. This is the last letter from the Apostle Paul before he dies. He knows that his death is very imminent, that he's going to give up his life. And he has found out about this young man, Timothy, his own sort of son in the faith, someone that he led personally to the Lord and who now is in ministry, who's really struggling, really discouraged, who really feels like just giving up. And so Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this entire letter to Timothy and really to Christians of all uh, down through the ages to try to encourage us, to come alongside of us at any season of our Christian life and sort of put our, uh, their arm around us and say, look, here's what you have to know. Here's what's going to get you through. These are the truths that's going to make a difference in your life in order to be able to stay the course not get distracted, not get out on a detour somewhere that's going to really personally hurt you and hurt others, and then also to finish well. This book is all about the importance, not of how well we started in anything, but how we finish. Because we know even from Paul's personal testimony that he used to be Saul, the chief persecutor of the church, and he didn't start off in life very well, at least in his relationship with God. But once he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, his life was forever changed and he forever lived his life differently. And he finished well. He talked about that. I competed well. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And we looked at that last week. So this is all about encouraging us. How can we stay the course in the challenges that face us? In all that's going on around us, what can we learn from that? And how can we as Christians finish well in our Christian life. That's really what the whole book of Second Timothy is about. But before we dive into it this morning, I want to just read the passage we're going to look at this morning, because unlike most weeks where we just go down verse by verse, 
This is going to sort of be sectioned off in in different sections. So I want you, if you haven't read it already, to sort of get the the feel for this passage. I want you to get somewhat familiar with the last words that Paul ever says that's recorded in Scripture. What, what What was on Paul's mind as he finished? And think about that even from your perspective. If you knew that your life was short, if you knew that you were about to die and you had at least that kind of, of, you know, foreknowledge to know that to some degree, what would you pass on to others around you? What would you say to them at that point in your life? And another thing, who would you want around you at that point in your life? Who would you want to surround yourself with? Because we certainly see that in this passage as well. Please follow along as I start reading in verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, Make every effort, Timothy, to come to me soon. For Demas deserted me since he loved the present age, and he went to Thessalonica. Cretans went to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is a great help to me in ministry. Now I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring with you the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus and the scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him in keeping with his deeds. You be on guard against him too, because he vehemently opposed our words. At my first defense, no one appeared in my support. Instead, they all deserted me. May they not be held accountable for it. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message would be fully proclaimed for all the Gentiles to hear. And so I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greetings to Prisca and Aquila and the family of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth. Trophimus I left ill in Miletus. Make every effort to come before winter. Greetings to you from Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The last words of the great Apostle Paul. What do we see in this passage where there were certain things that God just brought to my attention? And I want to start here. I think one of the things we see from the Apostle Paul here is how he maintained a close relationship with Jesus Christ and how that enabled him to continually see who God was clearly. You see, being able to really see God and see him clearly in our lives is really dependent on us having a close personal relationship with him. And that's our responsibility, folks. That's why James says we've got to take the responsibility of drawing near to God and he will draw near to us. We've got to make time for God in our lives. We've got to make room for God. We've got to make him the priority of our lives. And when we do that, then one of the byproducts of that is that we will see God clearly. When a Christian begins to lose that intimate personal relationship with God, 
then their God and who he is and their view of God and their concept of God starts to get fuzzy. It starts to lack clarity. That's why they can go through dark waters and and be at a distance from God and start to think all kinds of crazy, unbiblical things about God. Because our ability to see who God is clearly in our life all goes back to us maintaining that intimate, personal relationship with God, which is each of our personal responsibility as Christians. It's not someone else's responsibility to keep me close to God. It's my responsibility to keep me close to God. And we see how this helped Paul. That's why, like, in this passage, he could say in verse 17, the Lord stood with me. First of all, he knew that the Lord was the Lord. And let's remember that word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Adonai in the Greek language, means the supreme master of the universe. Because of his close personal relationship with God, He always knew, no matter what was happening in his life and what was going on in the world or anything else, that God was the supreme master of the universe, that he was on the throne and he was in control, even when everything in his own life and around him seemed out of control. He was able, again, to see that clearly because of his own personal relationship. And he could see that God was with him. He couldn't physically see God with him, but he knew through that personal relationship that he maintained with God, that God was with him when everyone else was not with him. He could sense his presence. That's one of the things that happens to us when we stay close to God. We will sense his presence with us. And that's so desperately needed today. You take the Old Testament story of Joseph and all that Joseph went through, and I'm sure like any human being, even as as great as Joseph was in his faith, that there were times where Joseph doubted that he would ever realize the dreams that God gave him. That he wondered probably, why am I having to go through all of this? But one of the recurring phrases throughout the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, when he was in the pit, when he was in the prison all those years, was the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And he could sense the presence of God. Folks, if God seems far away from you, it's not that God has moved, it's that you and I move away from God. And when we stay close to God in our personal relationship with him, one of the things that we're going to see clearly in our lives is that God is with us no matter what we're going through. Because it's not about how we feel and our circumstances. It's about our faith in knowing who God is and seeing him clearly in our lives. Notice Paul also saw God as his deliverer. He said, the Lord delivered me, verse 17, from the lion's mouth, and the Lord will deliver me. And this word deliver simply means, again, that he sees God's mighty hand taking him and pulling him close. That's what the word delivered means. So it implies that God isn't always going to seek us to escape the circumstances and situations of life. What he wants us to learn many times is that that he will take us with his mighty hand, a recurring theme in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, God's mighty hand, almighty hand, and he will pick us up and he will draw us close to himself. That's how God delivers. See, many Christians today, again, because they don't see God clearly in how he works, they think that somehow God abandons them and turns his back on them when they go through the fire. 
But just like with Daniel's friends, God doesn't always help us to get out of the fire, but he does always promise us to be with us in the fire. And that's what you and I will start to see clearly as we maintain that close personal relationship with him. Another thing that Paul says is that God will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And I love this this word in the Greek language, this phrase. It literally means one who was carried off the battlefield and safely. See, God never will leave you on the battlefield of life. God will always carry us off the battlefield. And even if we are wounded, he will bind up our wounds. He will take care of us. And he will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. Notice God also saw God as glorious. That's why he ends verse 18 by to him be glory forever. The word glory simply means to elevate, to lift higher and higher. And again, as you and I maintain a close relationship with God, one of the byproducts of that is going to be we're going to just continue to see how God is even greater and greater and greater. He's going to go higher and higher. He's going to be elevated more and more in our life. When we get distant from God, he becomes smaller. We bring him down to our level rather than letting him be the great and glorious God that he is. The other thing that Paul sees here is how gracious God is by ending this great book and letter with The words grace be with you because Paul understood again by seeing God clearly that God was a God of all grace. And it was by grace that he was who he was. And that God's grace, his supernatural influence, empowerment, and enablement is always poured out into our lives. The question is not, will God give us the grace to deal with life situations? The question is, will we receive his grace or will we push it away and reject it and live life on our own? And so the first thing that really jumped out to me was just Paul, again, through his words, reminding us of how important it is that we maintain a close personal relationship with our God so that we will always see him clearly and not allow things and situations and people to overshadow who he is. But the second thing I saw here was this. That we need to obviously recognize that there, just like in Paul's life, will be those who desert us along life's way, who turn their back on us, and who even oppose us at times. But what we have to learn to do, like Paul learned to do, is not to dwell on it and not to be defined by it. Notice what Paul says, very matter-of-factly in verse 10. Hey, Timothy, I want you to come because only Luke is with me, and one of the reasons why is because Demas, this Christian brother that I used to be able to count on, he forsook me. He abandoned me. He deserted me. And notice, though, what Paul says. He doesn't take it personal. Notice what he says. He deserted me not because he really hated me, He deserted our relationship because he fell in love with this world. In other words, Paul's saying if he would have kept his own Christian life where it needed to be, he would have seen the value of our relationship more. And he would have never turned his back on me and never deserted me. But Paul does tell us, hey, just like with him, just like with us, as we go through life, there will be people, Christians, 
who at one time we had a close relationship with, we ministered with. They were in our homes. We were in their homes. And now they have deserted us. It's going to happen, folks. But what Paul is modeling for us and how we can finish well and stay the course is don't dwell on it. And don't take it personal. And don't allow others to have that power in your life where you define your life by all the people who've turned their back on you. That's not what it's about. Notice, in fact, he goes on to say in verse 14, he tells Timothy about this guy, Alexander, the coppersmith, who did him a great deal of evil. And he says, look, you got to be on guard because in verse 15, he says, he vehemently opposed our words. He literally took a stand aggressively, Paul said, against us. And he will you too, Timothy, so keep on guard. Don't let your guard down, but don't let this Alexander guy get under your skin. Don't don't let him get into your head. Don't let him be the focus of your life. Because there always will be Christians who desert us, and there will be even others who at times oppose us, even aggressively. And then he even says, at his first court hearing down here in verse 17, he talks about how the Lord stood with him. But notice up in verse 16, the verse right before that, he said, but every Christian in Rome that I was close to, they all did the same thing Demas did when it came time to stand with me in the Roman court. They all deserted me. They all abandoned me. They all forsook me. See, Paul, like every Christian, we know what it's like to have people who at one time were close to us that we thought we could count on and we thought we would be in a relationship with them for long term. We all know what that's like. But notice what Paul said even after that. He asked the Lord, may they not be held accountable for it. In other words, Paul's literally telling God, please don't let their actions be weighed in the final accounting because, you know what, I know it's not about me. And I'm not going to take their abandonment of me personally because Paul understood something we all Christians need to understand. And that is when people, especially fellow Christians, abandon us, they're not really abandoning us. There's something wrong in their relationship with God. And that's more important. And it's because of their, in a sense, dysfunctional relationship with God that brings them to a point where they will turn their backs on a brother or sister in Christ. And so Paul says, because this isn't about me and it's not about me seeking revenge against these people and becoming vindictive and sitting there and figuring out how I can hurt them because they've hurt me, Paul didn't do that. Because he's saying to all of us, you will never finish well. You will never stay the course in a Christian life if you and I as Christians become consumed by all those people throughout our life that desert us or that oppose us. That's not where our focus is to be. And in spite of all the desertion and abandonment and opposition, you know what else rings true, though, in this passage? Is this next point that Paul wants to make. And that is, I see from this passage where Paul learned to fully appreciate and value people that God did bring into his life and that he was going to do everything in his power to stay connected to them. You notice all the personal names here? 
all the personal relationships that Paul had. Hey, I want you, you, and you around me at this point. And uh, I'm, I'm sending you greetings from these folks here. How could Paul know these people by name? Not because he was a lone ranger out there trying to live the Christian life on his own, but because he understood what the Bible taught Christians are to be for each other. We are to be in each other's lives, no matter how hard sometimes it hurts. And we need to get connected to each other. And we need to have relationships with each other on a level that's more than just surface. And you see that in this passage. Again, when Paul was dying, who did he want to be around him? Well, first of all, he was thankful that Luke was, Luke was with him. And then he says, Timothy, I want to see you one more time before I die. Come as soon as you can. Oh, and bring Mark. Who would you want to be around you when that day comes? Who would you want to surround yourself with? So we don't need a lot of people, but just a few people that you know you can count on, that you know have been tested and proved, that you know have been with you through thick and thin, and they haven't abandoned you. They haven't forsook you. They have stayed with you through the long haul. Paul says, that's who I want. Because Paul understood that in spite of all the desertion and abandonment that he felt, that wasn't his focus. He actually, I think, felt sorry for those Christians because he understood they weren't in a good place with God. He didn't take it personally. And so he was able to truly enjoy the people that God did bring into his life, and he worked on staying connected with them. Again, let's remember this too. In a time in history where, unlike today, Paul couldn't text Timothy. Hey, Timothy. He couldn't email Timothy. It was going to be a letter that was going to take weeks to just get to Timothy. And yet he took the time to send letters and to stay connected to people. The sad thing is today, we live in a world full of technology that supposedly keeps us more connected than ever. And yet what I hear from human beings today, Christian and not, is I feel more alone now than ever. I feel more isolated now than ever. Though we have more ways to stay connected with each other, we really don't because we've lost the art of how to stay connected with each other. I see this more and more. And I'm just going to use this as an example. I could use even friends. But this stands the way it is today, unfortunately. I was out to eat several weeks ago, and I was in a restaurant. And here's this husband and wife, out to eat, out to dinner. Okay, quality time together, right? This is time for them to connect as a married couple, right? The whole time they were sitting there, she was texting on her phone, and he was texting on his. And there was no face-to-face interaction between the two of them almost the whole time. See, Paul knew that we need to value and appreciate the people that God brings into our life. And we need to work on staying connected with each other. That's what we get here. But notice this also. I love this. In verse 11, 
something else I saw here? Was it Paul's reminding us that our God is the God of second chances? And because God is the God of second chances, who gives us second chances, who gave Paul second chances, that we need to be willing to give others second chances as well. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Literally, pick Mark up on your way and bring him with you because he is a great help. The words mean especially valuable to me in ministry. Wait a minute. Was this not the same Mark, Paul, that you and Barnabas had that big brouhaha over in Acts chapter 16? Where you and Barnabas literally parted ways because Barnabas wanted to keep Mark on the team. And we don't know exactly what happened, but Paul was done with Mark. And Mark said, no way. Or Paul said, no way. And Paul then picked up Silas. And so Paul and Silas became a missionary team and Barnabas took Mark. See, at one time in Mark's life and even in Paul's life, Paul would have never said, hey, one of the guys I want to have next to me is Mark because he's especially valuable. No way. But I believe through that experience, as hard as it was for Mark, that Mark grew through that experience. He allowed what happened between Paul and Barnabas to grow him up a little bit and to grow him through the years. And because of that, who's Paul want at the end in his life? Mark. See, he gave Mark a second chance. Is there somebody right now in your life that God wants you to give a second chance to? Knowing, I hope, all of us know, how many second chances God has given us. Hey, we all, we're brothers and sisters, but we're human. We don't all get it right. We all make mistakes. We're all going to sin. Even Jesus said, offenses are going to come even in the body. But we've got to learn to forget. Truly forget. We've got to learn to let things go. And we've got to learn to give people second chances. Now, I'll say this. That doesn't mean that you just automatically trust that person that's lost trust see i I think paul had observed and heard how mark started to live his life differently and he earned that trust back with paul that's very important paul didn't just you know a week later after he parted with bar say oh you know okay i just forget it and he can come no he had to earn that trust back but There does come that point where if somebody's willing to do that, then we need to be willing not to live in the past, but we need to give them a second chance just like God gives us second chances. Another thing that I see here is this. We should never allow things, stuff, to capture us and to characterize who we are or what we become. Yes, especially in America. Do you notice something about this passage that struck me? Was at the end of Paul's life, he didn't have very much materially. 
He didn't have a lot of stuff. In fact, all he asked to be brought to him is a cloak, literally a heavy coat, because the Mamertine prison that he was in in Rome would have been a cold, damp, dark cell. And I'm sure with winter approaching, he was like, I really would like that coat that I have. And, and oh, please bring some books with you, especially, I believe, copies of the Old Testament scriptures. We're going to get to that in a moment. But notice, outside of that, and his friends, that was all Paul needed. Because Paul had the Lord in his life. And Paul, through his intimate personal relationship and fellowship with Jesus, saw that that was really all that he needed. He didn't need to surround himself with a bunch of stuff because, as the Bible says, we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we're not going to carry anything out. Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, why do you hoard and stockpile all this stuff just to give it to people who never earned it? Why not use it and invest it and bless other people with it rather than getting to the point of your life where you're at the end of your life and you got all this stuff and what did it really mean? Is it going to give you a better place in eternity? Is somehow God going to give you a greater role in, in heaven because you came with more stuff? Unlike what the world says, he who has more toys, you know, well, no, that's not biblical. And sometimes living more simplistic is way more of a blessing than trying to keep track of all the stuff. And that's one of the things I see here. Paul had the Lord. He had a few good friends. He was hoping that heavy coat would come before winter. And he was hoping that they would bring him some books to dive into. Which leads to the next thing I see here. And that is at the end of Paul's life, what we see is a man who desperately wanted God to continue to pour into his life so that he could pour into other people's lives. He desperately wanted God to pour into his life so that he could pour into others. And notice, even at the end of his life, he wasn't just like sliding for home. Like, well, you know, I know I'm going to probably be dead in a couple days or maybe at the most a couple weeks. So I'm just sliding for home. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. No, he's directing this guy to go here and directing that guy to go there. He is living for the Lord and serving him right up to his final breath. And one of the things that he asked for above everything else are the parchments. And I believe especially the parchments in verse 13 were the most valuable things outside of people and the Lord in Paul's life. They would have been his copies of the Old Testament scriptures. And even though Paul had a lot of the Old Testament committed to memory and had it in his heart, He wanted the word of God around him because he wanted to continue to soak and saturate on God's word. Because notice more than anything else, he even mentions this uh, down in verse 16 when he says, even though others deserted me and all of that, then in verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The word means to put power into, literally to empower him. Paul's saying God empowered me. And here's what I wanted God to empower me to do. Not to build myself up, not to take care of myself. I wanted God's empowerment so that through me, God's life-changing message would be fully proclaimed for all Gentiles to hear. 
I wanted God's message to ring out loud and clear from my life to the very day I died. Because Paul said, there could be a Roman centurion guard around here who needs Jesus. There could be a fellow prisoner who needs me to ring out the message of Jesus loud and clear before they go into eternity like me. Because I know where I'm going, Paul said, when I die. I know I've competed well. I know I kept the faith. I know that there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord is going to give me on that day. And not only to me, but unto all those who love his appearing. I know what's going to happen to me when I die, but I don't know what's going to happen to all these other prisoners and guards in this Mamertine prison in Rome. I want to be faithful to God to the day I die. And I want God to continue to pour into me. And I want to put myself in a position as a Christian where I'm being poured into, where God is filling me up so that others will benefit from the overflow of what God's doing in my life. Bring the parchment. And God, strengthen us. Empower us with your power. And then I see that Paul says, we need to live life with a sense of, of urgency. We need to live life with a sense of urgency. Notice what he says in verse 21. Make every effort. This is the second time Paul said that. Notice back up in verse 9, the very first words to Timothy in this final paragraph was, make every effort. Do your best to come to me. And now down in 21, he says it again. Make every effort to come, but here's what he adds in verse 21 before winter why because when winter came there was no travel there was no way timothy was going to be able to get on a ship and get to rome when winter came so what paul is saying is timothy you've got this short window you've got this window of opportunity and if you don't seize it if you don't live life with your set with that sense of urgency that opportunity to see me before i die and for us to have that final fellowship together it's going to pass and it will never come again and i think paul is saying to every christian here in these final words before he died don't procrastinate in your life don't keep putting things off there are some opportunities in life that may come around again but most of the time we as christians let opportunities to go by that we will never, ever get again. What does God want you to do before winter comes? What does God want to see you step out and do and seize before that opportunity passes? Here's Paul at the end of his life. He doesn't say to us, oh, Christian, don't be so committed to, to Christ because you'll regret it at the end of your life. He says just the opposite. He says, put your all into your relationship with Jesus Christ. Put him first. Because Paul's saying to every one of us who follows him, that at the end of our life, as we're getting ready to head out into eternity, 
The only thing that's really going to matter in our lives is have we built our life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, not on the shifting sand of everyone and anything else. The only thing we're going to care about when we close our eyes in death is, did we know Jesus as our personal Savior? And as a Christian, have we lived our lives for Him? Folks, when we go out into that eternity that is billions and billions of years, and then eternity just gets started, this 70, 80, 90, even 100 years down here on earth isn't going to seem like anything. And all we're going to care about throughout eternity is what did we do with Jesus Christ? And here in America, can I just say, I think we as Christians better humble ourselves before our God and be broken. Because I don't know whether it's bothering you to see what's happening in our own country. But folks, we are going down the same path that the nation of Israel went down in their history. Where they even was aware that God was judging them because of the abandonment of him. And they didn't even care. Isaiah chapter 9. The nation of Israel, God says through the prophet Isaiah, I am judging you because you've turned your back on me and you've turned your heart to idols. And do you know what the people of God's response was to the prophet? Let God's judgment come. We'll rebuild. Do you know that's what some of our leaders have said? And folks, it doesn't start with the people who don't have a relationship with God. It starts with us. If God's people will humble themselves, seek my face and pray, and call upon my name, God, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal your land. The problem is that Christians, or those at least who claim to be Christians, God isn't really that important anymore. He's just something in our lives that we sort of tack on with all this other stuff that's more important. And Paul's saying to all of us, really? Is that what you want to go out into eternity with that kind of an attitude? Paul would say, it's not about rebuilding. It's about repenting. And becoming broken before God. About our own, as Christians, lack of commitment and devotion and faithfulness to our God. It's only in Christ, folks, that anything really matters. And if you're here today, I want to plead with you. If you've never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, not because of me, because of what God's Word says, would you seriously consider today making a personal commitment to Jesus Christ?
Because you don't want to live any more of your life and especially go out into eternity without Christ. The only thing that's going to matter a million years from now, 10 million years from now, is what have you done to Jesus? Let's pray. God, we thank you for Paul, for his example, for his words to this young man, Timothy. Words, the Lord, that can still capture our hearts today. Words to live by. God, I pray today that as your people, we would truly turn our hearts back to you again. God, help us to hear what you're speaking to us and help us to land our lives securely on the rock of Jesus Christ alone. All other ground is sinking sand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.